Uh, I have the pleasure this afternoon of introducing uh, Dr. McCluskey. Uh, uh, Major Patrick McCluskey is the Chief of Dermatology at Grant, uh, David Grant Medical Center at Travis Air Force Base out of California, and an Assistant Professor of Dermatology at the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland, two parts of the country. Uh, he's been researching dermatology curriculum since 2005 and has served as the Vice Chair for the American Academy of Dermatology's Medical Student Core Curriculum. Uh, the work group from 2008 to 2012. He served as his clinic's dermatology clerkship director for five years, and he's the course director for the Virtual Dermatology Clinic, an online dermatology curriculum based, uh, used by over 200 military physician assistant students, medical students, and resident physicians. The product of the AAD work group and the Virtual Dermatology Clinic is a peer-reviewed, evidence-based curriculum that's been validated using rigorous study methods. He will introduce that curriculum and detail how it can be implemented by physician assistants, and we are proud to have him. Thank you very much for that kind introduction. I appreciate it. Um, I am really impressed uh, with all the folks that are here and the work that you're doing. I think that's too loud enough. Um, mostly, I'm impressed that you're here right now. I was told I'd be going on last, and I was a little worried, and she said, no, no, we stay to the end. So uh, way to go. Kudos to everybody for staying to the end. So for conflict of interest, I don't have any financial conflicts of interest. I'm in the military. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> sort of the opposite of a financial conflict of interest. Um, and so as such, I w live in la-la land when it comes to insurance and things. I don't have to worry about all that, thank goodness. Um, but I do work for the government. But I'm not here representing the government. I'm here just talking about this curriculum. Um, could you stand up if you have served in the military in the past? I'm just kind of interested. Wow, that's a lot of people. Really terrific. There's a, a great tradition uh, in the PA world of military service, and it's a lot of the sort of background of where the, the PA world started. So thank you guys all for your service and for contributing and for being here. Uh, but I did work on this work group, and so I'm here to shill this curriculum we think is awesome, and I'll try to explain why we think it's awesome. I'm supported with a little bit of data. Not much data this late in the day, just a little bit. So this is the plan. We'll talk about basically how we develop the curriculum and let you know that it was based on a, a very deliberative process, and then we'll talk about the evidence that it actually works, and then I'll give you a little demonstration of it. And then last, we'll talk about how you can apply it in, in the physician assistant world and have a little time for questions at the end, but I will probably finish early. So I want to know who's here today. I understand that we have some students who were able to come. Uh, raise your hand if you're a, a PA student who's here. Awesome. Thank you guys for being here, and really kudos to the SDPA for being able to sponsor them. Um, who's in private practice? You work in a dermatology office, you work for a dermatologist, just, you know, office-based, almost everybody. That's not surprising. Good. Um, and how about SDPA diplomats? You've done the DLI, you're all the way through, you have, great, awesome, way to go, congratulations. And then who teaches PA students? You may teach them in your clinic, they come through, great, wow, that's a lot of hands. That's really great. Um, and who has lecture time for PA students, like at a local PA program? So a lot of this hands too, really terrific. And um, does anybody, is anybody doing curriculum development at the level of like, I'm actually creating this curriculum? Okay, just a couple of folks, good. Well, it shows that really we're all teachers, right? There's, I mean, in medicine we're teachers, but you guys are teachers because you're the specialty experts in the PA field. People are looking to you at the SDPA. They're saying, hey, it's a derm PA, we need you to come in and help us out. So hopefully I'll give you some tools here that'll be helpful for you. 
So when we develop curriculum, we don't want to do it willy-nilly. We want to do it in a way that makes sense. And this book, The Curriculum Development for Medical Education, a six-step approach, is kind of the Bible in, in medical schools and universities about how to develop curriculum. So I want to tell you a little bit about how we followed that approach when we put this to curriculum together. This is the basic idea. So developing curriculum is not a strictly linear process. You know, some of the parts interact with each other. But you have to start with the first question, which is what are we doing and basically why? Why are we doing this? Well, because nobody knows any dermatology. I mean, nobody learns any dermatology. They come in, they come out of school, they still don't know enough. You have to train them. I mean, you spend a lot of time training people on the basics, right? And then we have to do a targeted needs assessment. So we have to say, who are we trying to teach and what exactly do we want to teach? And we have to find out what the needs are specifically and go from there. I'll show how we did that. And then you develop goals and objectives from those needs assessments and you get into the ticky-tacky details about what do you want to teach and what don't you want to teach. So that's more of the what. And then from the what, you have to decide on the other end when you're going to test it, this is where you have to go to several of these other spokes. On the other end, when you're going to test it, you have to line it with the what and make sure that your tests align with your goals and objectives. That's really important. And then in the middle, you bridge that with content. But you've got to decide how to deliver that content. So how are we going to teach it? Where are we going to teach it? When are we going to teach it? You know, if you're doing curriculum development, you've got to say, when is this going to fit in in the PA program? When is it going to fit in a derm rotation? And then once you get all that together, and that's a big process, you put all this content together, then you have to just do it. All right, just, let's just start. I can't wait for a committee again. This is, we're, we're going. And then at the end, you have to evaluate it, and you have to make sure that it actually works. So evaluation is not just give a test, but it's actually get feedback and make sure that the, the overall process is working. So that's the kind of how well are we doing it. So that's just the basics of, of how we put together this, um, this curriculum. So to start off, what's the problem? Is that most people who go to their, their, their primary care provider and are looking for a help with their skin, they're not seeing a dermatologist, right? So you guys already know that because you are on the front lines of stemming the tide of patients who are trying to get their skin taken care of. And there's no consistent standard about what we're going to be teaching. So at one PA school, they may be teaching a lot of dermatology. and another PA school, they teach very little. I don't actually know how much dermatology gets taught at PA schools. I've been trying to look at this and find out, and I can't find it. And I couldn't find it on medical schools, except a really old study, and then a like, 1980s study, and then one I did recently. But in medical school, 8% of medical schools teach zero dermatology. So you go to medical school, and there's an 8% chance that you don't learn much of anything about a whole organ system. It's shocking, right? Like, if you said that about cardiology, people would be floored. I mean, you know, there would be protests outside the medical schools. And the average number of dermatology hours taught in medical school is 10 hours. All of medical school, 10 hours on the skin, on average. Shocking. Um, but, you know, what are we going to do? So I don't know what's taught in PA schools, but I know it's not very much in medical school. And it's usually not a requirement. So we do know that most PA programs offer a derm elective if they have someone like you who's willing to take on students and come rotate, but you can't take them all on. And I don't know what percentage of students who want to do derm electives are able to do so, but it's not everybody. Those electives are usually four weeks. That's the same in, for medical schools and PA schools. And then what we also know is that primary care providers are telling us they don't know enough about the skin. They want to learn more. Medical students say the same thing, and I'm sure that a lot of uh, PA students would say the same thing. So teaching in the PA world is a little different from the medical student world, but not much. It's pretty similar. And I think the, the difference is that most of the training 
that you get essentially is hands-on training when you're done with PA school in dermatology. So how many of you guys have in, been involved in the one-on-one -on -one teaching for a new, brand new PA, brand new minute PAC, chunk, and then they come to you and you have to teach them dermatology? Anybody done any one-on-one, -on -one, hands-on, you're brand new, let me break you in? Yeah, it's exhausting, right? But it's good work, it's good work. And then once you decide, hey, I wanna work in a dermatologist's office, I'm gonna be a derm PA, <laughs> your life just got better just making that decision, kudos. Um, and then you work for a while, and then you can do something great like the DLI in addition to other CME, you know, to do a lot more advanced training. So that's, that's way, you know, kind of future and getting your, your advanced training. So let's look at a kind of targeted needs assessment. This is looking back in 1977, kind of deciding who and what to teach. So we asked primary, could they ask primary care providers who were at a, a conference, um, basically looking at dermatology topics and saying, what's important? You know, what's important to you and what don't you think you know very well? And they came up with 22 topics as they say these things are important or very important in their practice. And the problem is that people who live in the ivory tower um, want to teach too much. So the problem is I want to learn some dermatology, but do I really need to learn about BP antigen 1 and 2? <laughs> right? I mean, most primary care providers really want to learn about the things that they see every day, and this is really important. So if we're trying to teach too much, then we're not actually serving them. We need to teach enough so that they have skills and they can take care of their patients, but if we try to teach everything like a lot of people in academics try to do, then we're missing the boat. So some of the studies in dermatology that said what should we teach had these long lists of things that are just unreasonable. It's like, okay, you only have so much time, let's be reasonable. So we wanted to be reasonable with this whole approach. So this is a graph that it doesn't matter that you can't read what's down the side. But the idea is we asked a bunch of dermatology educators, for each individual topic in dermatology, what do you expect students to learn by the time they graduate? What level of understanding for this do you expect them to learn? So at the very top is acne. 88% said, yeah, they should be able to treat acne, right? That's pretty reasonable. It's, it's, it, they should have a higher level. It's common. Um, it's easy to diagnose. Um, and then, you know, further down at the bottom, rickettsial diseases and bullous pemphigoid, maybe they should be able to describe it, maybe they should be able to diagnose it, but they don't need to treat it. And then some people with the little blue line said, don't even teach it at all. Like, it's a waste of your time, you only have so much time, don't bother. So the great thing is about this is that it lets us kind of rack and stack, and at some point we have to draw a line. Now you can argue about where that line is. And that line depends on how much time you have, and how much willingness you have, and how many people you can get to help you. But you gotta draw the line, and so that's a, a little bit helpful. And so here's the things that are at the top of the list. These are the top six diagnoses. So acne, subderm, warts, rosacea, atopic dermatitis, and superficial dermatophytosis. So you, you gotta teach about things that you're gonna see every day as a primary care doctor, right? It's totally reasonable. So we asked primary care doctors, what do you know, what would you like to know more, and what's important? So don't worry about the fact that you can't read the little writing on here. Um, but in yellow is less than 50% said it was important in their practice. So maybe we don't need to spend as much time teaching about vasculitis and HIV dermatology and um, alopecia, because they don't see it as much, they don't really care, they don't think it's important. And then above that line in the green and, in the green and red, we have things that they thought were important that were well taught in green and they were not so well taught in red. And some of those go back and forth depending on whether they did a dermatology rotation or not. So that's also interesting because it means if they're hanging out with us, did we actually teach them what we thought we were teaching them? But we know that the things in red then, we have some opportunities. So it's important and we're not teaching it well. 
And so that's some good lessons for us as we develop the, the goals and objectives. So then from those two things, from those needs assessments, we created a set of goals and objectives. And we said, all right, here are the things that dermatologists think we need to teach. Here are things that primary care doctors think they need to learn. Let's put them together. Let's make a list of goals and objectives. And then decide what to leave out, because that's really important. And then we went to program directors in family medicine, internal medicine, and pediatric residencies. And we said, all right, give us a gut check. Like, what do you think? Are we on the right track? And so we vetted it through them. And we rated each objective as essentially you got to do it. You know, yeah, that'd be nice if you have time. Or nope, cut it out. So this kind of helped us take a few things out as well. So this helps us decide what to teach. And this was, we call this kind of a Delphi process when you get a bunch of people together and you decide what to do. And this is what we thought that all medical students and PA students should be able to learn before they're done with the program and be able to do. We ended up with 33 topics, 33 major topics. Not too bad, right? Not trying to teach too much. And all 22 of those things that the primary care doctors had said were important were included. So we wanted to make sure we hit, hit all those. Then we had a couple of things that were extra that we thought were maybe dangerous they need to know about, even though they're not going to see it frequently. All right. Now we're going to contrast this a little bit with the list from the PA National Certifying Exam. Um, so these are the topics that you're supposed to learn about for the PA National Certifying Exam. They include um, pilonidal disease um, and hydradenitis separativa, which you guys know is very important to you. But is it important to every D PA who graduates from PA school? So that's our question. I'm going to highlight bullous pemphigoid and Kaposi's sarcoma. Because then we go back and we think about this needs assessment, and we think, all right, well, let's rack and stack a little bit. Do we really need to include all those things, or is that in some way teaching too much, maybe, when you only have limited time? So if you look at our 33 diagnoses, some of these would fall out if we were creating the list. Now, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't know how much our process would, down the road, uh, influence the, the folks who write the, the certifying exam. But bullous pemphigoid is an example of something that you guys need to know about in dermatology, I need to know about, but maybe every PA who graduates from PA school doesn't need to know about. You know, most people in, in general practice need to know that if you have blisters all over the body, you make a referral to dermatology. That's an important point. But not necessarily that you have to know that it's BP antigen 1 and 2 and where do you to, to do your direct immunofluorescence and who to send it off to and to use Michelle or Zeus medium. You know, for most people, it's just eyes glaze over. Kaposi sarcoma is a good example of something that when these were written was really important to the people who wrote them at the moment because they were in the middle of the AIDS crisis. But it didn't age very well as a, an objective to be taught because now, when's the last time you saw, who's seen a Kaposi sarcoma in the past year? Okay. And either they were probably untreated or it's the more classic ones, but not as many. So a lot, you know, 80, 90% of you haven't seen one in the past year because people are on heart therapy and we're not seeing them as frequently. So it is important to the people who have them. It's important to us. It's important to the dermatopathologist. But to the general practice guy down the street, no, it's not as important. So do we still need to ask about it on our certifying exam if we don't have space to ask about other things that are important? All right, so now we have to decide. We've decided this list of goals and objectives. What do we teach? What don't we teach? How do we do it? Well, you heard together about 40 dermatologists from across the country, a coalition of the willing, and you say, all right, give it up. I know you have lectures that you've created on all these things. I know you're giving them. I want you to give it up. I want you to help us create a lecture. Uh, everybody choose a topic. Make sure you teach these things. 
follow this scenario, it's all gonna be case-based, and then we're gonna peer review it, and we're all gonna work on it. So that's what we did, and we came up with 30 learning modules and four kind of additional optional modules, because I was arm wrestling not to include certain things, but I got out arm wrestled. Um, and then we have 10 videos. So we wanted to put them online because we wanted it to be something that people could do at their own pace. We wanted it to be convenient and readily available to everybody. So the key point is this is free, available through the AED website. It's totally free and it will continue to be. And we wouldn't work on it as a work group unless the AED agreed to that. Um, so that's, I think, really important. And you know, you got great quality. The pictures look great. The videos look pretty good. Um, and then it's all case-based, so it's meant to represent what it would look like to see this patient in clinic. An average patient with this condition you know, will give a history and a background and, and pictures that should be representative. And then after they're done with the module, the student can take a couple of questions and say, oh yeah, I learned what I was supposed to learn. Okay, good. So there's a bit of repetition uh, within it. You say, well, there are only 33 major topics, but you have 30 modules. There's like a module for every topic. You guys really like, did a lot of work on some of those topics, a whole module from Alaska. Um, so, valid. Um, but you're gonna see some repetition. So you'll see rosacea in the acne and rosacea module, and then you'll see it again in the red face module, which is more a sort of problem-based module, and there are several of those. I really like those, I think they're actually great, because that's how we think, right? We think in terms of like, okay, what's red on the face? Like, what could be wrong with a red leg? Um, so I think that's a kind of helpful way to go. All right, so I'm gonna show you the list of the modules and in terms of the color coding here. So we wanna see some red, so we're teaching the things that historically we don't teach very well. We still gotta cover some of the green because we can't ignore it, and probably not so much of the yellow, that's gonna be the goal. So here you see some of the things that we're not teaching very well are covered in red, a little bit of green, only one yellow. We felt like we had to touch on petechia and vasculitis because, you know, that's how we are. There are 10 videos. They're pretty great. Um, our Mohs surgeons were involved with a lot of these. How to do a shave biopsy. How to prepare a pathology request. How to inject local anesthesia. How to do a punch biopsy. How to do a KOH. How to do a skin exam. Because we realize we're starting from zero with a lot of people. So like how to look at a patient with a skin exam. You guys are great at this. And like if only you know, every one of you could go into a PA program and get involved in that intro to the clinical exam course and say, this is how you do a skin exam. Or better yet, for those of you who have you know, general experience, to say, this is how you do a skin exam in the context of a complete physical, so that you're not missing it as you're listening to the heart, listening to the lungs, palpating the abdomen, do it as you go. And then we decided to put it into place. So we had, this was about a two-year process to get to the point that we actually got all this stuff ready, well, about a four-year process, got all this stuff ready, made people give us their modules, got all the photos worked out, the videos worked out, and we put it on the AED website, and this is where you can go to see it. Now, if you just put into Google, uh, medical student dermatology curriculum, I think it's the first thing that pops up, and that's kind of an easy way to do it. So it's free, uh, the learners can do it on their, own, on their own. You know, some people don't have a dermatologist at their medical school, I find that shocking. Um, or that they may not have access to dermatology faculty, certainly, or a derm rotation, and we wanted it to be available to everybody. Okay, so, but don't just believe me that I think they're awesome. Uh, we need to actually prove it, right? We need to base this, base this on some evidence. So we did two studies, one at UCSF with medical students, and then we had a study in the military that I headed up looking at primary care residents and PA students, and those were folks that were on dermatology rotations, so elective rotations, mostly four weeks long. 
So for the medical students at UCSF, they do a two-week rotation, and they all had to participate. So they, they apparently got everyone to do it. And they went through 18 of the modules. So they didn't do all you know, 30 that we had, but they did 18. And they did a pretest and a post-test. And just accept on faith that we validated all the test questions, what we did. I'm not going to talk to you about how we did that, because it's boring. So um, basically, they went from about 70% pre to about 90% post. So they learned throughout the process. They did better at the end of two weeks, which is awesome. They really loved the modules. So their satisfaction scores were very high. They actually liked them. You know how students are. They love anything that's clinical. They like to see patients. They liked them better even than seeing patients. Sort of shocking. Um, and they liked them certainly better than lectures and textbooks. And they thought they were engaging. They thought they were worth their time. And they said they should be part of the permanent curriculum. So they loved it. So the question is, OK, if you had done the same study without the modules, wouldn't they have done better? Because they were at UCSF for two weeks seeing patients and interacting with these great faculty and also doing reading. So does that totally prove that it works? Well, you've got to have some kind of control group. And they didn't, their IRB wouldn't let them have a control group like a module, no module, because they thought that was unfair, even though it was the baseline. But I could do it in the military because um, I can't control people. So there's this fallacy in the military that actually military people will do things when you tell them to do them. Um, but those of you who've been in the military know that's not true at all. And um, you have to have some way to like hook them. And, and um, so despite the fact that we did this study and we offered this great thing to people, I can't actually make people do anything. Um, it's very frustrating. It doesn't even matter how much rank I have. It doesn't matter. So I can't make people do anything. And so I used that to our advantage in the study to compare people who were doing what I wanted and people who weren't. And then just other variables that you can't control, like how long you're in clinic. So we didn't do this at any place where there was a dermatology residency program, because that kind of muddies the waters. Then you have too much teaching already in place, right? We went to community hospitals, um, places like mine, where we have family practice residents, um, some transitional residents, and a lot of PA students. And we wanted to look at, does age matter? In other words, do older students do as well on a computer-based thing as younger students? We didn't think they would. Gender, we didn't think it would matter. But the number of half days they were in clinic, we thought might be important, right? So somebody who, a resident, a third-year resident in family medicine, they may only have five or six half days in clinic for a given month they're supposed to be with me, which is very frustrating. Um, and then a first-year resident might have a lot more because they have less continuity clinic. So I thought that was a good variable, right? If you're not seeing as many patients, you're not going to learn as much dermatology, right? That seems reasonable. And then we could actually track how much they were interacting with the website. So I get to like, be pulling the strings as a puppeteer on the website. It's kind of like Blackboard, like you, know, you do in college. Um, and I get to see what they're doing. Right? They don't know that I'm doing all this, but it's fun. And we did a pretest and post-test. Now, I asked slightly harder questions because I was focusing more towards residents. So I wanted to focus more towards treatment, which is why our, our numbers are lower. I don't think our students are any dumber than the ones at UCSF, but our, our scores on our tests are a little lower because I ask harder questions. So here's the results. What I want you to notice is that PA students, they didn't score quite as well on the pretest because they didn't have quite as much knowledge going in, but they scored just as well, maybe a little bit better, than the residents, the resident physicians. So there's a couple of good reasons for that. One, as we all know, PA students are just as bright and they get just as good an education. And so this is a great validation of the fact, like it's no different, right? You guys are side by side with us in med school. Uh, we're doing the same thing. And um, students are generally more motivated than residents. 
I will tell you that residents as a group are lazy. <laughs> and they will do the least possible. Um, so, I mean, you look at our, you know, our third year, you would think our third years would do a lot better than the first years. No, no, lazy. <laughs> but the PA students did great. And we looked at the post-test scores, there's no difference based on age, based on gender, and there was no difference based on whether you're a PA student or a doctor, and there was no difference on your PGY year. And there was no difference based on how much time you spent in dermatology clinic. It didn't matter whether you had eight half days or you had 28 half days, the post-test scores weren't different. Which is surprising, right? So the question is, so we don't think it was just that they were in clinic. So for the UCSF study, it's not just because they were seeing patients that they learned. The only thing that affected whether they got better post-test scores was how much they used the website in these modules we created. So what you're seeing is the activity scores from the website for how much they interacted with the website, which is about, it's related to how often they use the modules and answered quizzes and stuff. Um, and the people who used it the least got the lowest scores. They, 56, that's barely the baseline. They basically didn't improve at all. And the people who used it the most got the highest scores. And that's, that trend was significant too. So, this is sort of a circular argument, right? We're going to create goals and objectives. We're gonna give you a test based on those goals and objectives, and we're gonna teach you in the middle material that will help you meet those goals and objectives. So if our curriculum didn't do this, then it's a total failure, right? So this proves that the curriculum does what we say it's gonna do. It's not groundbreaking, it's not earth-shaking, but it shows that actually the curriculum is the one thing that improves their post-test scores. And I think this validates that we have an effective curriculum. I also think that this shows that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I can give you, like, you can have the best information out there, but I can't make you read it. I can't make you care. This is really true for the military. They, they make me do a lot of things that I don't really love, but they can't make me care about the little minutia. Um, and this, this, the same is true of learning is that uh, you know, if you're not motivated to, to learn something, then you're, you're not going to. So there's nothing any of us can do about that. But we can go to those students who are motivated, who do want to learn, and provide them a high-quality product. And they love it. I mean, all I can say is they love it. So, and I actually, I've had some great feedback here from people who've used the curriculum. Who's, who's looked at the AD curriculum here or used it with your students? Couple of folks, and, and who's um, using it in a PA program as you're teaching dermatology? One there, Travis Hayden, two, three. Okay, thumbs up, thumbs down. I see two thumbs up, that's good, I'll take it. Um, I've heard a lot of good positive feedback and I really appreciate that. So um, we hope that you guys are finding it as useful as we think it is. So in summary for the military study, everybody learns. Using the curriculum is what influences their learning and it's effective. It basically proves it's effective. We know that our online learning is just as good as lectures. So people in multiple studies looking at, um, you know, did I go to lecture or I learned it online? It's just as good. And most people these days like to learn online better. And we just kind of validate that here. So to summarize this curriculum, it's a way to standardize what we're teaching. And it's a way to make sure that that you have a high quality product. It's been peer reviewed. You know, it's not, we didn't just pull it out of you know where. Um, it's based on a, you know, a very real and deliberative process. And it's freely available and it works.
So, do you want to see it? In reality, so I want to kind of shift to the idea with this curriculum about what it's like to be teaching in clinic. So a lot of you said you have PA students who rotate with you, or you're teaching a newbie. And um, I mean, what are you guys dealing with? 10, 15 minute appointments usually? Is that about right? So you have to balance teaching with um, patient care. I still feel like I'm too loud. So typically, we, tr we tend to go towards like a little mini lecture after you see a patient with a certain thing, right? Okay, let me talk to you about this. I'm gonna hit my main points, right? I'm gonna teach you this, 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 and this. Sometimes that takes a little too much time. And alternative, you just say, oh, go home and read about X and come back. Well, you don't know what they're gonna read. You don't know if they're gonna read what you want them to learn. You don't know where they're gonna read it. You know, Wikipedia. Good luck. Okay, I, I'm sorry about the name. Um, the name is the Medical Student Core Curriculum. So the AD tasked us to specifically focus on a medical student curriculum, so that's what we did. Now we all knew in the committee that it was going to be used by a lot more people than just medical students, and when we were designing it, we designed it in that way. Now I think that creating for medical students and PA students, if you're talking about the undifferentiated medical student or PA student, is really not very different at all. Um, but we also had resident physicians in mind and primary care folks in mind. So most of these modules, despite the fact that the goals and objectives are ad adjusted towards the medical student level, most of the modules had in mind teaching to a slightly higher level, which might include a lot of treatment decisions. All right, now I want you to think about being in clinic. You're in your busy clinics, you're all in clinic, and you have a PA student rotating with you. And with this patient presentation, think about what you want to teach and still stay on time. And I, and I like to think of this as, can I get some lunch? So the goal is to get lunch. I, I'm unhappy when I'm hypoglycemic, and the goal is to get lunch. OK, so the PA student's presenting to you. They've seen the patient. They're talking to you. And this is what's going on in your head as they're talking. And you're thinking, I'm a genius. Just wait till I tell them what this is without even seeing the patient. They've already described it perfectly. They gave me the history. It's worse than the summer, blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking they're going to think I'm awesome, which they totally are. So you go, into the you go in to see the patient, and it's exactly what you think. Yep, it's exactly what I think. And you're already seeing in your head this. So perfect. You're like, this is awesome, I know what's going on, I might be able to show them something cool, they're gonna go home idolizing me today. So when you see Tina Versicolor, I don't know what you think, but I think like, cha-ching, this is easy, I don't have to use my brain, I can get lunch on time, I'll get caught up. Awesome, I'll get to look at a cool thing under the microscope maybe if I feel motivated. Uh, but if you have a student, you have to, right? Right. You can't just be like, it's Tamer's color, here's the stuff. Um, no, no, you got to show them. But then you also step back and you think, well, I've got a student, let's do a little teaching, right? Okay, so I need your help, because it's late in the day. So what are the key points that you might want to teach about Tamer's color? On your like, bullet list of things to your PA student, you just got a couple things, what are you going to teach? Typical location? I'm sorry? How to do a KOH exam? Topical versus oral treatment. With the differential Good. Other things to think about in your differential. I like it. It's not contagious. Good. No cure. It may go on a long time. Maintenance. What to do over time. Good. Awesome. You guys are great. Okay. 
Now I'm going to have you vote. So like you've said several things we should teach. Well, let's see if we agree. So I want everybody to stand up if you agree that we should teach each one of these points to like all PA students that's part of the curriculum for tenure versus color. Stand up if you think they should be able to describe the skin findings. Everybody has to vote. Vote with your feet. See, it's good. It's like church. Stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> oh, good. Now stay standing if you agree with each subsequent thing here. I have a couple dissenters. Um, and that's okay. Uh, they should know that the KOH exam is the right test for this. So sit down if you don't agree with that. Okay, good. We should teach them all the same thing. So they should be able to generally interpret it, have an idea of what it looks like when it's positive or negative. Okay, good. They should be able to choose something as initial treatment. Something. Know when to refer. Know when it's not going well. Know when to ask your supervising physician. Know when to you know, think about other, other alternative diagnoses. Good. And that every PA student needs to know that uh, fungal cultures from Malassezia species for six out of the seven Malassezia species, with the exception of Malassezia pachydermatitidis, need to grow on... <laughs> I don't even think most dermatologists need to know this. Good. I'm glad you don't agree with that. So we get the idea that at some point we say, okay, that's too much. All right. Well, these are the goals and objectives for tenure versus color in our curriculum. And you can see whether that aligns with the things that we were thinking. So does this look reasonable? We're not trying to teach too much. We're not being white ivory tower people. Good. So here's another way to do that. And it kind of depends on what your, your learner says when they present here, what they think it is. If they say, I think it's tiny verse color, I'm going to give him some, some selenium sulfide shampoo, shampoo to use as a body wash. We're going to get to lunch on time. You're like, sweet, I got a rock star. Check. I already did the KOH. It's still waiting for you on the scope. Um, a plus. Uh, if you get me to lunch on time every day, A plus. Um, but maybe they say, oh, I think it's vitiligo. Great. All right. Teaching opportunity, but I'm not getting to lunch on time. Um, but you can still get to lunch on time if they think it's vitiligo. Because you can say, okay, well, what I want you to do tonight is I want you to go look at the light rashes module and then come back and we'll talk about the differential diagnosis for light rashes tomorrow. You're still to lunch on time. Or you can say, good, they say it's tenure versus color, but I don't really know what to do for it. Great, go look at the adult fungal module and learn about it and come back tomorrow and write out a prescription for me for what you want to give them. And then you can find out if they actually know how to write a topical prescription correctly, which they do not. <laughs> so it's on the AD website. Let's take a look. So I'm going to show you a video, because it keeps me on time. Um, of the um, AED website, and I'm going to try to point the laser without blinding anybody. Um, so I'm going to go to this side, arbitrarily, and so I'm just going to act like I'm clicking on certain things and kind of walk you through what you'll see when you go to the website. All right, so here we're going to click on education and quality care in, in uh, the blue section here, and we have medical student curriculum. So this is the basic homepage for the medical student core curriculum. On the left-hand side, we have kind of a quick access to each one of the different modules and other things. And then we have an explanation in the center. And it includes a learner's guide and an educator's guide we'll come back to in a second. And the next thing we have to click on is actually the suggested order of the modules. So if you're on a two-week rotation, we suggest doing them in this order. You click on them, and it takes you straight to it. Or if you're on a four-week rotation, we give you a slightly different recommendation for how to do it. Back to the main page, if you go down a little bit, we have alphabetical listing of the modules, and then we have a link to the videos as well on that main page. 
I'm going to go up to the educator's guide now and click on that. And most of this is that's included in your handouts, so is kind of the educator's guide. And it explains basically what the goals and objectives are. You can link with the specific goals and objectives and how each one is set up. Um, the base, each one's going to start with the goals, it's going to go through questions and answer, uh, talk about what's going to be covered, clinical evaluation, um, basic elements of treatment, and when to refer is covered in most of the conditions. And then down at the bottom of the page, we have the diagnoses linked to learning modules. So you don't have to know the whole curriculum to know where to look for a particular diagnosis. So if you go down to Tinea Versicolor, you're going to see that it's linked to three different learning modules, the adult fungal infections, dark rashes, and light rashes. And that'll help you kind of determine based on your learner which way you're going to direct them so you know where, where things are taught. And then we're going to look at the adult fungal infection module just briefly, not the whole thing, just a little case about tinnitus colors. Here's, okay, learn these things, click on the module, and it's going to come up. And I'm going to skip within the module uh, right now down to the, the case that I know is about tinnitus color. These names are fake, just so you know. So uh, these are going to go through faster than you can read them, so don't try to read them. We're just getting a, an idea. A little bit of history. We're going to say, hey, how would you describe it? What do you think it is? Why the wrong answers are wrong, which I think is often really helpful, and you know, what the right answer is. And then there's a little bit of background here, malassezia, blah, 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 worse in the summer. Um, and a little bit more background for each thing. And then we're going to have you know, clinical photos and then other questions about here, what's the correct exam to do? Great. Choose the right one. They've already seen a video on how to do a KOH earlier in the module. Now we're going to show them again. ZD and meatballs, right? Why is Versicolor in the name? Look, light, dark, pink. <laughs> and then a little bit about treatment. Now this is not you know, extensive about treatment, and you guys are going to have a lot that you're going to be able to teach as well, but this is just some basics here. You know, a little bit about topicals, a little bit about orals and a little bit about maintenance and when to refer. So thanks, because you guys covered all the stuff we wanted to teach. You're awesome. Um, and then when they're done, they can go and take a little quiz right after. And it's just a couple of questions that make sure that while they were going through the module that their brain was turned on. And it's a nice way to just wrap up. You know, there's a lot of data that shows that actually having quiz questions after you review something helps um, in, enforce learning. So we wanted to do that with each one of the modules. Most of the modules have some kind of quiz afterwards um, to help retain the information. And then they can go back and they can start on the next module. Each module takes about 20 to 40 minutes to complete on the student's own. Um, so it's not too bad if you have a four-week rotation to do 30 modules, that's not super taxing. And overall, students said that they didn't feel like it was, you know, it was just the right amount of time and they really liked it and didn't feel like it was you know, having a negative impact on their quality of life. So in order to use it as teachers, you kind of have to know what's there. So you have to spend a little bit of time going through it and knowing just what's available and what's taught and what's not. And the other reason to know that is because the next day when the student comes back, you say, okay, you brought your paper prescription for what you wanted to write. And okay, you wanted to write for Lamisil. Well, here's why that's not going to be great for Tinea Versicolor. Um, but you also need to know whether we touched on that or not. You're going to have a lot of things that you're going to add, and that's the art of medicine. And you're, that's the reason that you can say, this is also why I'm a great clinician, um, you know, and this wasn't covered, but I have some other things to teach you. And we, we actually think that's great. Um, and that's why people rotate with us. But if you don't know what's there, then it's going to be harder because then they're going to go home and they're going to ask you questions and say, well, this, you just contradicted what they said in the thing. 
you know, and feel free to say, well, because I'm the mommy. That's why. Um, and you can direct the, the student you know, to learn based on their level of need if you know what's there. So for instance, the difference between the, the adult fungal lecture, which talks about you know, all the tinnias, there's a little bit about candida at the end, blah, 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 um, versus say the light or dark rash differential is a nice place to, to go. And I'm a big fan of the ones that are problem-based because I think that's how we think. So be a coach, and we kind of talked about the idea of these like learning prescriptions where, you know, okay, you see this thing, here's what I want you to go home and learn about, come back and answer this question for me. And then you can close that loop and make sure that they went home and they looked at the module, but that they also had their brain turned on, and that then it verifies to the student that they got the right idea when they come back and they see you the next day, and they know that they're on the right track. So instead of teaching in the clinic, you can direct the students what to learn so you get to lunch on time. This is the website. And you can use it to kind of do the teaching for you. The student's learning just as much, and you're saving a little bit of time. Just a little bit about how to incorporate this in your lives. I think there are a couple different ways that it can be useful. We talked about how to use it in clinics, so I'm not going to belabor that point. Um, I think it's really easily helpful and applicable that way. Um, if you're teaching in a, a PA school or a program where you can put a small group together, it's actually really great for this. Um, it takes about, in a small group with some questions and answers, it takes about an hour. And you guys who have been using it in your program can verify you can't do this in 20 minutes with a group. Um, but it takes a, an hour block is about a good time for one of these modules. And some of them are a little longer than others and we'll have more questions. But in general, that's easy to do. I have noon lectures with my family practice residents a lot of times and I just plug one of these in an hour, it's perfect. And then if you have influence in the curriculum at the PA program, you can actually get other people to do your work for you. I'm a big fan of that. Um, so why can't the pediatricians te teach about atopic dermatitis? Well, they can, but you don't know what they're talking about. So maybe they're telling everybody, don't give them Elidil because it causes lymphoma. That's, I would not like that to be the message. <clears throat> so you can give them this module where we're controlling the, the knowledge and the content, but they're, they're the ones giving it and then they can be doing the work. You know, the same thing in surgery, they can talk about ulcers, they can talk about the red leg. Internal medicine, they can talk about drug eruptions and teach people on the wards how to actually do a drug timeline before they call you. Is this a drug rash? I don't know, can you please like, do some work here before you call me and let me know exactly what they were on when? Teach them to fish. <laughs> so where does this fit into the kind of timeline of learning? Um, this is a primer. This is way back when for you guys. You know, this is back in the day when you were first learning about dermatology, when you were first in school. Um, and then you get clinical experience on top of that. And then you work in a dermatology practice and you become the subject matter experts. And you do the DLI and you get your stamp of approval. And then you become the people that everybody else looks to to teach them. And then you may be involved in, in other teaching programs. So this is kind of how I see the learning points <clears throat> for where this curriculum can be used. Obviously in PA school, when you're giving lectures or doing small groups, it's easy. When you're on a derm elective, that's easy like we talked about. It may be helpful for people getting ready for the exams. So for the PACRAT when you're there and for the, the certifying exam as well, I think it covers a lot of that stuff. Now if they want to ask you about Kaposi sarcoma, I can't really help you with that. Um, so, but I don't think they should be asking you about that for, for um, you know, the the undifferentiated PA. 
Um, for PAs in practice, obviously in general practice you're going to be doing a lot of CME and hopefully they'll be learning something about the skin in their CME. For people who are out in practice and haven't had a lot of derm exposure, this would be a good way to get them up to speed. So if you have a lot of referrals from other PAs in your community and you said, look, I think, I know you didn't get a lot of dermatology in PA school, here's a way that you can kind of learn about it now that you're out in practice. And then I think for new derms who are working for you, for new derm PAs in your practice, it might be a way when they first get hired on to say, okay, uh, I know you were working in a general practice for a couple of years and now you want to work in our derm practice, that's great. Here's your kind of homework over the next month to get up to speed on the basics. And then we'll start talking about bolus pemphigoid, but not at the outset. I need you to be able to take care of atopic dermatitis first. So that's how I think it might be helpful for you guys. Um, and I thought we have some time for question and answer. And I wanted to know, you know what questions you guys have about it, any feedback you have about it, <clears throat> or any, any questions you have about how it was developed. Presentation. I know it hasn't been out there very long, but do you have any idea how well the cur curriculum has carried over for several when someone's several years out and they're practicing? So, do you mean we we saw how well they learned initially, but is the sustained learning exactly? Uh, it, um, we haven't proven that. So that's a great question, and uh, in most medical education studies, they want to look at not only did you get short-term learning, but does it endure over time? So I don't know, um, because we didn't include that in those studies. I would have liked to, but you know, I only had so much time and effort and energy. Um, that's a good question, though, is whether it endures. It's great that it's available so people can go back and right. use it as a resource. Right. She said, she said it's good that you can go back and revisit it because it's publicly available. And that's what a lot of our, our students said. They said, I, I'm going to use this to go back and study for exams. I'm going to use it for study for the boards. I printed off the treatment slides because I thought they'd be good to refer to. Yes, ma'am? Hi. I just have a question regarding updating. How, how often will it be updated in? Terrific question. Particularly with the AED, which is this big behemoth organization, um, we, they promise that they will have another committee that gets formed whose job is just to maintain the curriculum. So my recommendation to them as we finished this one work group was that every three years, um, everything should, be, should have a complete turnover. So the idea is a third of them would be reviewed every year in order to make sure that they're up to date. And that's a great question, because some of the things will get out of date and will get changed. So that's the plan. There may be a few modules added, probably not a lot, because the goal is not to teach too much. And then we may also kind of have a breakout, so maybe we'll have something just for like pediatrics that kind of breaks off what's just for them. Do they need to really learn about actinic keratosis and squamous cell? Probably not. Um, and then our internists probably aren't interested in molluscum. Um, but so that breakout may occur, but that's the goal. Great questions. All right, well, um, thanks. I wanted to give some thanks to the AD work group. Obviously, they did a lot of work um, to make this happen. Tim Berger led the work group, and uh, Sarah Cipriano, who's a first-year Durham resident who just started, she did all the coordination to actually track down those uh, academic dermatologists and get them to do their work. And I want to thank the SDA, um, SDPA for, for bringing me here and uh, for actually being interested in getting the word out, and also for the work you guys have done on the DLI, because I think you have a lot to really be proud of with that, I think it's actually a really robust 
um, challenging program. Um, so kudos on that. And just please go take a look at the website, and I, I hope you'll like what you see. Thank you.